0: Hello, Queens. This is Seth. I am here this week to let you know that we have decided to take a week off. As you know, we've been covering Drag Race pretty nonstop for the last, oh, five years. (laughs) It feels like that. So we are just taking this one week off in between Canada's Drag Race and Drag Race Holland. So in the meantime, we still have a couple things that we want you to check out. If you haven't yet, listen to the podcast last week we released where Jamal talked to his sister about working in a hospital as a nurse and around people with COVID-19 and eventually contracting it. Also, Jamal put out another really great conversation on his website. Um, It's a conversation with his parents where he discusses Uh, being black and those types of experiences, as well as experiences that his parents had growing up being black as well. It's a really interesting conversation. It's about 40 minutes. Uh, The links to those two uh, will be below in the notes, Uh, so you don't even have to go looking for them. You can just click below. Since we are taking a week off, I thought it would be fun to go ahead and promote my new podcast. So after I finish yammering on here, you will be able to listen to one of the episodes of my new podcast. It's called Treble Treble Podcast, and it's all about music. I'll be looking at one album every episode and talk to you about the stories behind the album, the themes, the favorite lyrics that I have as well as my connection to music through the queer lens. So I'm giving you the queer music experience. Uh, The episode that you're about to listen to, I picked the album David Bowie's The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust. And um, I actually have Jamal on this episode as a guest, and of course, he brought Beyonce's self-titled album. So if you're interested in checking out my new podcast, just keep listening. It's about to play. I'll put a link below so that you can go and subscribe to it and listen to me as you know it continues on, so... Uh, Thank you for giving me a chance, and we'll be back next week with Drag Race holland coverage. Oh, Hello, you're listening to the Trouble Trouble Podcast, and I'm your host, Seth. I'll be your host for this adventure. Tonight's show is coming to you from Portland, Oregon. Actually, the show is also coming to you from Indianapolis, Indiana. That's right. I have a guest with me today. I have a special episode for you. Before I invite my guest on, this is how the episode with guests will go. First, I'll have a discussion with my guest about their connection to music It's really exciting how music means something different to everyone. And after that, we will dive into today's album, David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. This is an album that I come back to quite often. My guest today is Jamal Miller from the Thanks for Coming podcast. It's all about RuPaul's Drag Race over there. Jamal has chosen an incredible album for us to discuss as well. Beyonce's self titled album. Such a fitting choice to go with the Bowie album that I chose. A little bit about our guest. I met Jamal in 2005 in Bloomington, Indiana. Not only did we go to the same college, Indiana University, Go Hoosiers, but we were also in the Kappa Kappa Psi National Band fraternity together. There, we bonded at a chapter meeting, football games, and the buff. If you know, you know. Our friendship has continued after graduation and through many cities that I've lived in. That's 15 years of friendship. We even started RuPaul's Drag Race podcast together with Jamal's husband, Stony about three years ago. Without further ado, let's welcome Jamal to the show. Hello, Jamal. How are you doing this evening?
1: Hi. Oh my gosh. What a cute intro. Memory lane. I'm doing just fine. <laughs>
0: So I know that you're a music lover like I am. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your connection to music?
1: Sure. So um, my music dates way back, like most of you listeners, I'm sure. Um, for me, particularly, it started just in my household from a very young age. My parents played all kinds of music throughout the house. Most of the time it was oldies or a good jazz standard, um, on the weekends, cleaning the house, like first thing in the morning, that's what you're waking up to is breakfast, music, and then everyone's doing chores. So, um, as I got older, of course, I started to play instruments, um, viola, trumpets, and playing instruments and learning how to read music. It gives you like a deeper connection, I feel, to the music you've grown up listening to and the music you're continued to be influenced by. So um, for me, it kind of helped me enter a different plane when it came to interpreting music and anything I was going through at the time in my life, you could, you know, throw a coin on a bed of bottles and whatever was happening at that point, there was a song or an album that I can connect to and relate to at the time and very vividly recall. So um, that is my connection to music. It's just a love language to me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there any, like, first memories or, like, of a a song that you heard or maybe a type
1: of music that you heard? Um, I remember my mom and my dad, they always said that um, I was a kid who did not want to go to bed. I I just remember being that nosy child, like, wandering back downstairs and catching the parents up late, drinking and partying with the family friends. I can't tell you the song, but from a very young age... um, My brother and I were maybe like two and a half years apart. I'd say he was maybe a toddler. So I was like real small. But I remember my dad and his friends, they'd like lip sync, but they'd be howling, singing, like terrible dad singing. Oh yeah. (laughs) In the living room. Oh my gosh. But they'd all like they'd all be doing the boys to men number or whatever like group song they wanted to play. Even the the lady songs, like they were serving in the living room, so <laughs> love that. Any kind of oldie jam like that that kind of takes me back is like my first music memory.
0: Definitely. What do you typically look for in music? Uh, like what draws you in? Well, let's start with that. What do you typically look for in music?
1: I look for the drama and the music. I love a moment, I love a crescendo, any huge break in a ballad, like that high note, that that note that just goes on and just that one that you'll remember moments like that. Um, whether it's a Broadway tune, a jazz chart, I look for whatever that peak and Valley is of the song. I want to feel like I've gone on a journey.
0: Absolutely. You want to feel that like, That moment, you know, that you're just like, damn, this is so good.
1: (laughs) Yes. um, Not everyone's a fan of roller coasters, but I feel like music should be like a roller coaster. No one said how intense it needs to be, but some kind of journey in motion.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, What draws you into an album or artist? This could be aesthetically or do you prefer like an album as a whole? Are you looking for singles? That sort of thing.
1: So for me, actually, it's always been um, instrumentation. I like when artists can um, incorporate a good band into their, whether it's just background or if they're really like, I'm the front person of a band, I love that sound. Um, Big band charts, for example, I love a screaming horn section that almost immediately draws me in. So if you're a pop star or a big R&B star and you bring that influence into your sound, that's probably going to catch me almost immediately. I do like the um, the mystery of music, too. So if there's some kind of story being told, I like to just feel pulled in that way. Like, what kind of scales and what kind of notes are you using in this chart that's going to, like, suck me in?
0: Totally. So it sounds like a little bit you want someone with a fully realized, like, persona, someone that's confident, that owns their personality. And you also want them to bring you, like, a fully realized concept for an album, um of course you know those ones are the, it doesn't have to be a concept album or mm-hmm. like you know kind of like what the couple were talking about today but it kind you you want it to be like you know, to take you on a journey, basically.
1: Yeah, and it's no shade to the artists who are just naturally gifted and they can just sing whatever is given to them. But it's nice when you can feel like the art is actually connected to the person presenting it and, you know, giving it to you as a gift as the listener.
0: So what music are you listening to currently that you're digging?
1: So currently, of course, um, I'm still stuck on Lady Gaga's Chromatica. I've been listening to it probably I'd say a handful of times a week that number's gotten a little smaller <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah it's still good though
1: it's still good of course um well we're, we'll get into it today but I'm always listening to um Beyonce's homecoming I just love her live albums even the Sasha I am world tour live tour I love listening to that album current music oh my gosh <laughs>
0: It doesn't necessarily have to be, like, the new hip thing. Just, it, you know, just whatever you're listening to now. It can be, like, old stuff, too.
1: Okay, so I'm, like, a playlist queen. So a lot of what I will listen to on Spotify is... Um, I love the Lush and Ethereal playlist. I love... Um, hip-hop gold instrumental (laughs) beats playlist i love any kind of like chill kind of tune um i've been doing a lot of working and studying so lots of instrumental kind of music um the state of jazz playlist on spotify is really good
0: totally and i and i know um that you're a big solange fan so i feel like we should bring that up because we're talking about her sister beyonce today
1: oh yeah so I'm um, a seat at the table when when I get home um, all those projects I listen to um, I'd say pretty regularly I haven't visited Solange in a I'd say probably a handful of weeks which is rare because guaranteed she's always like in my top five artists listens for the year along with she Beyonce. is, I can confirm that <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I'm not like a top 40 queen so like for me listeners like a lot of what I hear I might pick up on like a podcast if it's I'm like a creature of habit so lots of Jimi Hendrix lots of Beyonce I love any kind of slow get in your feelings kind of jam and I'm all over the place I listen to playlists and soundtracks more than I do like artists
0: yeah I do that sometimes too like at work I'll just listen to a playlist of, of a certain type of music and then go from there and then sometimes you'll find new music that you like in there so that's also a fun way to connect to music
1: oh yeah there's a group called the regrets for example like I've always gone down like their rabbit hole like I know who they are but you like rediscover them so I have been listening to them the past couple weeks
0: Very cool. Are there any albums coming out soon that you're excited for that you know are coming out?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not to my knowledge. Um, Of course, I just kind of refresh Spotify and see what's there. Um, I try to keep up with those daily mixes. Chloe and Hallie, actually, um, they released their latest project, Ungodly Hour. And I have been sitting with that one a ton. Dua Lipa. And these are projects that are already out, so I'm not necessarily anticipating new projects, but um, I guess I'm excited about those.
0: Uh, What can you tell us about a new Beyoncé record? Because I know Jamal's tapped into the Hive, so I was wondering if you had any inside tea about a new Beyoncé record.
1: There's um, rumors, there's buzz that she's in the studio, and of course the Queen is always recording something, so it's just a matter of when she's going to drop it. We just got Black as King, so i don't know if and black parade to go along with that so um i don't know if she's gonna drop anything anytime soon we do know that there was definitely a tour planned for this year because there are venues releasing like cancellations and slots that were definitely set aside for a beyonce tour so i guess that just means my beyonce fun just keeps growing until the next tour <laughs> then
0: you'll have enough to be up front right
1: way up front yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) on the stage
1: good luck stony
0: (laughs) stony's like i need to get out of here my anxiety is (sighs) not ready for the beehive section
1: oh my gosh i don't know if he is like that's where we're gonna get into our choreography like the only way you survive is if you know the choreography down there so
0: that's true. You'll have to go into dance <laughs> rehearsal soon with Stony.
1: <laughs> I stay drinking my water, so let's get it.
0: <laughs> there you go. Well, that's very cool. Thanks for having that conversation with us. It's always interesting to see how other people connect to music. And that's kind of part of the show. Everyone connects to it differently. And those stories are really interesting because... Even while other people's stories are different, they're also pretty similar to a lot of us that are really interested in music and listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's go ahead and get out our backstage passes because I am taking you up close and behind the scenes. Let's get down to talking about the albums we've chosen to discuss today. First up, we have David Bowie's 1972 album. The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust, and The Spiders from Mars, or Ziggy Stardust for short. The album title alone is pretty telling of the story we are about to dive into. Fun fact, on the day this album came out, the Rolling Stones album Exile on Main Street was number one on the charts. If that gives you an idea about what was going on at the time of this album release... This is Bowie's fifth album and was released by RCA Records. It was recorded at Trident Studios in London. It was produced by Bowie and notable engineer to the Beatles, Ken Scott. It was ushered in at the height of Bowie's glam rock period and launched him to full-blown stardom. Of course, we have to introduce you to the Spiders from Mars as well. We have guitarist and vocalist Mick Ronson. He played a pretty big part in the image of the band at this time as well. On the drums, we have Nick Woodmanzie and on the bass, Trevor Boulder. This album is a sci-fi, rock, opera, or concept album, whatever you want to label it as. Bowie is famously known for having different periods and characters over his music career. He began coming up with this character as far back as February 1971 while promoting his album, The Man Who Sold the World. So who is Ziggy Stardust? He is a bisexual, androgynous rocker who became a conduit for alien beings in a dystopian alternate reality. Say that three times fast. (laughs) (laughs) He was inspired by the theater style of uh, Japanese kabuki and, more specifically, fashion designer Kansei Yamamoto, who designed Bowie's tour outfits, musical theater, and English singer Vince Taylor, who had a breakdown and believed himself to be a cross between a god and an alien. You can see where we're going, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. The first name of this character comes from the name of a tailor's shop while he was on tour in America. And Stardust is a nod to the legendary Stardust cowboy, who is considered one of the pioneers of the genre that came to be known as Psychobilly in the 1960s. During recording, Bowie was so talented he could see a song needed a bit more and would just pick up an instrument laying around from the previous band's recording session and play it. For example, the saxophone. The loose concept of the album is that Earth has five years left of existence and Ziggy Stardust comes to save the Earth. He is so well received on Earth that he ascends his rise to fame and is worshipped by teens, and hated by parents. That is, until the infinite, basically aliens, come to Earth and rip Bowie to shreds in order to assume a physical form, and therein we see the fall of Ziggy Stardust. However, this album did not start as a concept album, which is why at times the story seems a bit disjointed. It's meant to be scenes from the five years Ziggy spends on Earth with his band, He had an initial batch of songs together, but the label was concerned there were not enough singles, so he quickly recorded Starman, Rock and Roll Suicide, and Suffragette City, keeping in mind the concept of the album. We all know this album to be a smashing success. After all, it has been ranked number 6 on Rolling Stone's 100 Best Albums in the Last 20 Years in 1987, as well as other top of's lists from Pitchfork, NME, NME, and time magazine it's generally accepted as one of the best albums of all time by music fans however it didn't start off that way it was recorded a month before the previous album hunky dory was even released bowie couldn't sit still and constantly had to be working and expected only the best playing from his band When the album first came out, it was a success in the UK. However, in America, Bowie didn't see that quick success. In the UK, it debuted on the top 10. However, in America, that album peaked at number 75 on the Billboard charts, but got generally favorable reviews by critics. The album was a slow burn to catch on with the American audience. While he waited for the fans to catch up with his groundbreaking album, his manager, Tony DeFreeze, encouraged him to live a lavish lifestyle that he was portraying on the album. The band came to America for three months to tour, but only played 10 shows. They would have two weeks off in between shows, but the band didn't mind because they were put up in the nicest hotels in the fanciest suites. In July of 1973, he shot a live concert documentary of the final tour of the album, where he announced where it would be the last show that he ever did. His Ziggy Stardust persona was retired after this album cycle. After Bowie's death from cancer in 2016, just two weeks before my birthday I might add, the album reached number 21 on the Billboard charts and has sold over 7.5 million copies worldwide. One of the reasons I chose this album to be on the first season of this podcast is because it is laced with sexuality. In an interview before the album was released, Bowie announced that he was gay. That was an outrageous thing for a rock star to do in the early 70s. Throughout his publicity shots and stage performance, he wore an androgynous red mullet wig with tons of makeup. He was basically a drag queen. (laughs) There are a few lyrics as well that we will talk about a bit later with gay references, but this overt sexuality was not normal or even acceptable during these times. Totally fearless and flamboyant was his performance of lead single Starman on UK program Top of the Pops. This was not normal for people to see on television. While performing Suffragette City on tour in 1972, he started doing a bit at the end of the song where he went underneath guitarist Mick Ronson and played the guitar with his mouth. It made it look like Bowie was simulating oral sex. <laughs> he even talked to his manager into buying advertising space in UK's Melody Maker magazine featuring that infamous picture... If you think Elvis's gyrating hips caused a ruckus, that was nothing compared to Bowie's <laughs> no-holds-barred, sexually-charged performance. He pushed the bounds of gender and sexuality in a time where that was simply unheard of. Almost a decade later, on his second marriage to a woman and two children later, he admitted that saying he was gay was more of a publicity stunt that he regretted. Regardless, he inspired many LGBT people and gave them a reason to live because he made them feel more accepted. That's the power of visibility. Whether he was gay, bi, or straight, he was an ally and that makes him a part of the queer community. If nothing else, but for the cultural impact he made on a generation and those followed. Okay, so let's talk about themes on the album. Jamal, I know I've been talking for a long time, what are I'll let you start this discussion. What are some themes that you noticed on this album?
1: <laughs> definitely, like a sense of like um, taking over as far as like a real sense of self and strength, um, moving forward with confidence, and you know, just doing it.
0: Totally. There's definitely uh, lots of themes of celebrity, outer space, science fiction, mm-hmm. uh, and drug use to mass depression, as in the album "Closer," rock and roll, suicide. Uh, That was actually a song about T-Rex singer Mark Bolin. In Bowie's plea to Mark, who is struggling with drugs, that he's not alone. Bowie is almost pleading for Bolin to get help. While Bolin didn't die of drug use, he did pass away in a car accident. I think that that's a song that queer people can really relate to. Taking substances to forget the struggles of everyday life. Even if you don't take drugs, being queer can feel quite lonely. And it's a song to use as motivation to keep going on. You're not alone.
1: Yeah, very good point. It's so true. Um, Music is such an escape for a lot of people. So it only makes sense that, you know, Boe would connect this message in such a deep way. Just to, you know, communicate that even stronger to the people.
0: Totally. I, I remember really falling in love with Bowie when I was in college. I took... I was a music minor, like I said, in our first episode. And um, in one of the history of rock and roll classes, like, I really learned a lot more about Bowie's, like, you know personality like himself like i knew some of his music but i learned a lot more about him and i was really inspired by his like adapting with all of his different personas to me that seemed like really like punk rock you know in a way especially with this album throwing like sexuality and gender in people's faces and that really appealed to me as a as a queer person
1: mm-hmm. yep
0: i can also remember like you know to a much lesser degree trying to like emulate that because i would always like come in different well what i thought were different like Uh, themed looks to parties and stuff like that so i'd like have like the cowboy night or whatever i remember (laughs) i once went to a black and white party and went and i really paled out my face with the the white halloween cream and like you know basically went full emo (laughs) and this was all like really like my uh me trying to live through that lens basically
1: It's full expression like no matter what it is and what angle you want to approach the party the dinner going to class whatever it's just like you put on your drag for that day and you just tackle the world. I think this album definitely personifies that.
0: Definitely. So let's go ahead and switch gears and start talking about our favorite lyrics. Were there any any lyrics that stood out to you personally.
1: Um, I don't have any specific right off the top of my head. I know I connected a lot to um, the um, Moon Age Daydream. Um, I also really liked um, Rock and Roll Suicide. Starman as well as one that, of course, I was very familiar with and just has always been one of my favorites on this album.
0: Totally. Those are all really great songs. So I picked a couple of my favorite lyrics. Either favorite lyrics or just lyrics that feature sexuality and gender expression. Okay. So the first lyric that I chose is from the song Five Years, and it goes like this. A cop knelt and kissed the feet of a priest, and a queer threw up at the sight of that. So in 1972, queer sexuality was not accepted, and Bowie was publicly supporting the LGBT community. It may have been written in response to police sort of favoring a Christian morality, such as laws outlawing homosexuality. The queer in the song would throw up at the sight of the cops budding around with religion because religion generally discriminates against queer people, and ergo, the cops do as well. Mm. I thought that was really interesting. You know, as far as you know, the LGBT community. I thought that it was really pretty cool that he was being so outspoken about it. You know, not even necessarily being queer himself, but being an ally to the community
1: yeah it's definitely calling out like hey i I see you um i might not know what you're going through but you know i can help you tell the story and um that that feeling of solidarity there was received
0: totally so i have another lyric that i like and this comes from one of the songs that you mentioned that you like moonage daydream yes and it's the very beginning of the song he says i'm an alligator i'm a mama papa coming for you i'm a space invader i'll be a rock and roll bitch for you and i just picked this album not necessarily for the sexuality or lgbt aspect of it but i just i just like how cheeky bowie's being in this album in this opening uh lyric from this song
1: yeah it definitely catches you off guard it pulls you in immediately and you're just like wait a minute um i want some of what they're having
0: Totally. And people really like this a lot because he says mama, papa, but he's really saying the word mother Ah.
1: Uh.
0: So this is more of like a censored way of saying that in, in Bowie language.
1: I did not know that. And I'm going to start using that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start using that around the office for sure. <laughs> so another lyric that really reeks with sexuality and gender expression comes from the ziggy stardust song where he says uh he came on so loaded man well hung snow white tan so in this lyric he is basically kind of describing uh ziggy stardust's uh penis size yes (laughs) and um because of course you know rock stars have large penises i guess (laughs)
1: that's the lore
0: or so they say we i can't verify it for you but uh
1: my what a big axe you have
0: that's right (laughs) 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 so then you know continuing on with the song another lyric i took from it is ziggy played for time jiving us that we were voodoo the kids was just crass he was the Nas with God-given ads. So here we're mm. we're learning about David Bowie's beautiful, but
1: <laughs> yes, we love cakes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can uh, I can say you know just from watching some concert videos that I would agree with this lyric. <laughs> <laughs> so those were some of the favorite lyrics that I had from this album. So we're going to go ahead and start talking about our favorite songs. So let's see. What are your top three favorite songs? You have no more space than that. You have to choose only three.
1: Oh gosh. Well I guess I already like prematurely like listed them. Um <laughs> I like Starman. Um I just really like connected to that song. I like the instrumentation and the way it sounds. Whenever I listen to music, I guess that's I guess, like, if you ask me what I'm listening to currently, I'm, like, all over the place because I'm more kind of into the vibe. Like, if it has a more kind of calm kind of sound, I might be into it that week. If it kind of has, like, a future nostalgic kind of sound to it, I might be pulled in that way. And um, Starman, for me, was one that was... Immediately, it took me back to a moment, and it pulls you into the story. It's kind of in the album a point in the story where it's like transition happening so um i really liked that song for that reason um i love a good closing so um rock and roll suicide i thought was just the sprinkle of drama you needed at the end of a project like this and i thought it was um, a beautiful song
0: totally um if i had to pick my top three favorites i would probably include uh starman in that one in that list. Um, and then I would also probably pick uh Ziggy Stardust and Suffragette City. I mean, these are the big songs from the album, so maybe I'm just being like uh basic about my selection. <laughs> I mean, the whole album itself is really good, but we only have space for three passengers on this adventure, so those are oh, my yeah. choices.
1: Um I guess my third one would be actually It Ain't Easy.
0: That's a really good song. I that's actually a Ron Davies cover.
1: Yeah. I liked his rendition of this. Um, yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I a lot. liked
0: that one a lot. And that actually brings me to my follow up question to our favorite songs. Were there any songs on this album that you didn't know or maybe didn't know as well that really like are a song that you may come back to revisit now that you've re- you know, been listening to the album a lot?
1: Now, see, I'm a late kind of Bowie bloomer. So I was not very familiar with like Suffragette City and um the more kind of Bowie staples amongst all of his projects. I really just dug into this album, and before, like I said, on playlists and The Labyrinth, of course,
0: <laughs> for me, songs that I would say that I really am going to incorporate into a lot of my playlists coming up here. I really like the song Soul Love. It's really just like a fun song, I think. yeah. The second song uh, off the album.
1: I did connect to that one too. I liked that one kind of later as I like my third listen through the project. I was like, oh, I like that one.
0: Yeah, sometimes it takes a few listens for certain songs. So I I really like that one. I, I agree with you also about It Ain't Easy. That's another song that I'm definitely coming back to. And then also, I would say um, Hang On To Yourself really grew on to me as well. Oh,
1: yeah, that's a good one.
0: So those are the songs that I really kind of have fallen in love with, you know, besides the the staple Bowie tracks, So just to give you guys uh, or, or gals or anybody non-binary listening to this podcast, you know, maybe a path to other Bowie songs on this album. Those are the ones that I would send you to. Alright, so let's go ahead and change gears here and move on to the album that Jamal picked to discuss today, Beyonce's self-titled album, Truly Iconic. This album was released on December thirteenth, two 2013 on her Parkwood imprint under Columbia Records. This is also her fifth album that she released. What a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) This album was recorded in New York City, partly at her home in the Hamptons, and then moved to Jungle City and Oven Studios, also in New York City. It was produced by Hitboy and Timbaland. Some notable artists she worked with on this album are Sia, The Dream, Jay-Z, and Justin Timberlake. We talked about Bowie's album having a slow start with sales, However, Beyoncé's album sold 828,773 copies worldwide in the first three days. (laughs) That made it her fifth consecutive number one album on the charts. It now has sold over 5 million copies worldwide. This album is special because knowing her loyal fan base, there was no announcement or promotion for this album. That shows how truly beloved she is, and it was totally unheard of at this time. So let's go ahead and talk about some themes, and I'll let Jamal start this discussion now because this is the album that he wanted (laughs) us to talk about today.
1: Yes, so of course it had to be Beyoncé T. I've always kind of avoided really going into detail because it's the obvious question when it comes to me. Who are you listening to the most? Who's your favorite artist? And even over the years, I'd had like, my favorite groups. This is the first person I've like, truly, like, been, like, a super fan of and just enjoyed everything that they touch. So, um, self-titled was truly, like, an iconic moment in the music game because we all know that Beyoncé is being managed by her dad, Matthew Knowles, for a very long time. And she was just kind of playing the label game, doing what was safe And this was her project. I mean, only 12 people total on the label knew about it. And it was um, being worked on under the code name Lily. So it had no chance of being leaked and airtight NDAs, of course. But this was just her taking full ownership of herself as a music deity (laughs) and this was released about a year after just under a year after blue ivy was born so she was just really coming into yes i'm a mom but i'm still sexy and i can still have fun you know you can still enjoy this life and the message was just truly about fun and she just completely rocked everyone's world when she just decided to press a button in the middle of the night and release this project and with every track came a video and it's called the visual album but you could watch all of the videos singular and still you know enjoy the track and the music and of course we know how that evolved with future projects like lemonade and the homecoming netflix special
0: do you remember where you were when this album came out like the experience that you had about finding out and that sort of like you know tell us the story
1: sure so i actually um i was a long time fan of destiny's child of course um dating myself like i always say i had cassettes i did (laughs) the writings on the wall okay i had cassettes um But just over the years, I've kind of grown up with Beyonce. But with that being said, I really just became a fan. I'd say like it started with the um, Sasha Fierce album. And then I kind of went back to her earlier stuff and just really started to stand. Still hadn't gone to any shows. When this project (laughs) dropped, it was 2013. Um, Stoney and I actually were living in our first apartment in Indianapolis I was still working at Amazon at the time, so I was actually about to go to bed, and I just picked up my phone, looked at Twitter, just like everyone else, just freaking out because we saw, like, Beyonce new album, like, hashtags flying and links flying, and I was like, wait a minute, so I, like, gay gasped out of bed <laughs> and just, like, sat up and got on iTunes and purchased it right away.
0: Immediately. No questions asked.
1: Yes. And then I listened to it in bed. I didn't watch the videos until after work the next day because I worked pretty early. So I had to get some sleep, but um, I purchased it immediately. (laughs) (laughs) What were some of your first impressions? I liked the um, blend of sound. Like you could tell that she'd done a lot of work vocally. Um, People like to say in the past that Beyonce was not the best vocalist. She's just a good performer. And you know, she's continually proved all of you haters wrong. So
0: (laughs) I was completely shocked that you said that because I've always thought of her as an excellent vocalist.
1: Oh yeah. Like those of you in the beehive, like older hive, not young hive that just pops off at any comment. But this is one of those early arguments. Like when Beyonce started to go solo, people were like, Oh, she's not like a singer singer. And you know, she, she just performs. She's the modern day Tina Turner and, With every project, she continues to grow. So with this project, you start to see her experiment with sound, working with different producers, kind of having, playing with the different themes and digging deeper into what it means to not only be like a sexy woman, but a mother and just kind of finding herself again, trying to discover that she can still be who she is.
0: Totally. And that's a good way to get back into talking about the themes. Uh, To me... I thought the general, like the central theme of this album was basically finding the beauty in imperfection. Yes. So that's kind of what I took away from it. Of course, because Beyonce is a woman, people were very critical of her themes of sexuality on the album. Beyonce said, I don't at all have any shame about being sexual. And I'm not embarrassed about it, and I don't feel like I have to protect that side of me. Mm-hmm. So that really lends itself to her messages of feminism on this album as well. That was a big love her or hater like topic, was her being a feminist. Mm-hmm. Other songs allude to darker themes such as body image, infidelity, and postnatal depression after her first child, Blue Ivy, was
1: born. Yes. And that, um, label of the imperfection, finding the beauty in that, that's the perfect way to say that it's because all of those things, like she's just probably in this place where she's trying to figure out if she can level up as an artist, is she going to be a good mom and what's the world going to think? And that whole struggle, trying to be perfect for everyone but herself. So, um, that journey and her giving us that kind of peek into the story because Beyonce is very private. So... The themes that come out in these um, videos and in the lyrics and in the songs, they really share with you on a personal level what she's been experiencing on a human level.
0: I did see that in researching this album that she changed some of the lyrics to match what they had shot for the videos.
1: Yep, she made she makes quick changes like that. <laughs> the Queen.
0: She just like has that like intuition to be like, "All right, like this is where this is what the song needs to, you know, be evolved to basically."
1: Yep. And this goes to show like just what kind of artist she is. She's just very detail oriented. She doesn't really I'm not going to say she doesn't take no for an answer. It's just like she's a boss and she's she does it in a way that's respected and she's talked about this Years before this project, like if I just yes and say okay to everything, you know, it's going to be their project, not mine. And I think people respect her as an artist for that because she trusts her instincts and they're almost always right
0: another thing and this could just be me reading into it so like to me this album sort of tells the story of like of like sort of like her journey through life at this point in time because at the very beginning she says they ask her what does she want out of this world and she says i just want to be happy mm-hmm. and so like uh i mean obviously i initially related to that i can <laughs> i could agree that's what i want out of this world too <laughs> So it kind of goes from that. The arc goes through like being in love, having some rough patches in your relationship, and then to like the bonus song of Ring Off.
1: Oh, yeah. And the the, um, bonus release, she had a handful of records that weren't on the initial release. Um, Ring Off is one of those tracks. I'd say that this whole project is her figuring out that happiness like what does that mean because for the longest time she'd been doing what the labels wanted what was best for sales and she's like you know what my listeners just like kind of how i said i kind of grew up with her and destiny's child and then her journey into beyonce people listening to her grow up too so it's okay for her to start singing about these very real and adult things that we're all kind of experiencing and oh just because i'm a mom now doesn't mean that i just have to hide behind sweatpants and joggers and i can't express my femininity or sexuality anymore like it's okay to you know not push yourself so hard that you're about to pass out and, you know, tip over. <laughs> like, it's okay to go out and have fun and dance with your girlfriends, even though you're a mom. It's okay to be sexy, even though you're a wife. It's okay to
0: surprise people at karaoke session <laughs> and sing your <laughs> own song.
1: <laughs> that's right. And it's okay to have, like, a badass girl party where, you know, it might be a little flirty and sexual. But, hey, that's your husband looking, at hers.
0: That's right. <laughs> So let's go ahead and switch gears into some of our favorite lyrics. This will kind of also, you know, start several other conversations that we can have about this album. I'll let Jamal start. Is there any of your favorite lyrics that you'd like to share with us?
1: I actually really like Jealous on the album a lot. And I just love the line, "Um, if you're keeping your promise, I'm keeping mine. I think that anybody can read that line and find a way to connect to it, whether it's a a romantic relationship you're in or any kind of relationship there's kind of like an underlying agreement as far as what that relationship will be and we all know that that can be tested and has been tested in a number of different ways in the past <laughs> so i really connected to that line in that song
0: totally i would i would have to agree with you that was one of my favorite lines i, I didn't put pull it for the lyrics but i'm glad that you said it so that it could be included <laughs> <laughs> So my first lyric that I really liked is from the song Pretty Hurts. First album on the, or first song on the album. Pretty Hurts, we shine the light on whatever's worst. Perfection yes. is a disease of a nation. I love this because to me, maybe it might become like sort of a mantra to to me now because I just, oh, I personally always feel like that you have to be perfect in everything you do and every aspect of your life, looks, mm-hmm. job, uh money, that sort of thing. So it's just uh I love that.
1: Yeah. Of a soul that needs recovery. Uh my gosh. I love that song so much. I think longtime listeners of Thanks for Coming and anybody that knows me knows I love a good opening track, I love a good closing track, intros, outros those are the moments for me. And this song just yanks you right in with those lyrics because it's always about kind of what society expects of you. And that's how everyone's supposed to fit into this one tiny little mold. And if you watch the visual album and the videos that go along with this, uh, this song is um, illustrated with a pageant. So she's doing everything to get ready for this pageant fighting with the girls you see her kind of suggesting that maybe she's throwing up her food girls are eating cotton balls anything they can to portray the societal view of what beauty should be and she relates that to kind of her career and everything she's kind of sacrificing and doing and she's questioning is it for them or is it for her
0: totally and that carries through the whole album you see the um the trophies and drunken love and that visual mm-hmm. so you see that like she definitely uses that as a metaphor throughout the whole album
1: yep yep such a good lyric good one
0: what about you do you have another one for us
1: Ooh, let me think um I can't think of specific lyrics in the song, but I love the message of superpower. That's one that I connected to. Um, I listened to the most, I think I, whenever I listened to this album, I went top down and then I listened to superpower like a lot. And then I started to skip around <laughs>
0: that's how you got to do it with Beyonce you got to you know take the whole album of course that's the story as she wants you to understand it so you have to hear her message of course
1: yes um but superpower it's just she has a way of connecting with the fans and just saying hey I'm I'm Beyonce but I understand I'm going through it too and um she just kind of lets you know she's there for you with songs like this
0: Totally. I, I did pull another lyric and because it relates to Ziggy Stardust. Uh, it's from her Drunken Love song, and it goes like this. Feeling like an animal with all these cameras all in my grill, flashing lights, flashing lights. So this is basically a lyric about Beyonce's, you know, struggle in the celebrity and, you know, in the public world. And, you know, she's been doing this for so long through Destiny's Child. And uh, it's clearly something that you can't escape as an artist. So, you know, in Ziggy Stardust, he's sort of just starting on this journey. But in Drunken Love, Beyonce's like, I've been here and it is a struggle.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, that's a good connection because, I mean, people are trying to say that she didn't carry her own child and paparazzi is taking like crazy pictures and shit like that. So Beyonce and Billy would be able to have tea about this for sure.
0: <laughs> totally. I also just like the part in drunken love where she says we woke up in the kitchen saying, how the hell did this <coughs> happen? Oh baby drunken love. <laughs> I just, I love that like sort of like cliffhanger, like, Oh baby, like that addition uh-huh. because you know, it's just like it's like a cool way like you think the 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 lyric is over but she's like oh wait i'm not done yet like Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i really like that a lot
1: yeah she's like emphasis like you need to know like why we were there like oh baby (laughs)
0: yeah and then of course just you know because we have to celebrate women owning their sexuality like we've been talking about on this podcast I pulled this lyric from Partition,
1: mm. and
0: it's just uh, the chorus, driver, roll up the partition, please. Driver, roll up the partition, please. I don't need you seeing Yancey on her knees.
1: <laughs> uh, I love this. Um, if you go to her um, YouTube channel, there's a cute five-part series. All the videos are like four to five minutes and she's kind of taking you through like the parts of this album and she talks about this song in particular and how it was completely improvised no pen and paper she they just played the beat and it took her to a moment in her in her head and she said hit record and this is what came out and she kind of joked about being nervous to let her mom hear it but (laughs) totally This is just her being fun, and I love that she's just owning that sexy, and people can just stay mad, like, don't be prudes, like, people are allowed to enjoy their bodies.
0: Yeah, totally, especially in America, sexuality and gender is just sort of, like, uh, I guess taboo, I guess you would say in a way. Yeah, yeah. Like, people just don't want to talk about it, and I think that that, well, I mean, of course, there's appropriate times and appropriate times not to, like, but I think that those discussions are needed as well. Mm Mm-hmm so i have just one more lyric that i pulled and this relates to other things that we talked about this is from the song flawless Ooh! i took some time to live my life but don't think i'm just his little wife don't get it twisted get it twisted this is my shit bow down bitches. so this lyric is just so powerful you probably just hearing it you can hear the weight of the meaning of these lyrics beyonce had announced that she would be taking some time for herself in 2010 and you know because and then eventually she was pregnant and um having blue ivy so this is like her big comeback she earned this break and now she's back so you guys all need to bow down because beyonce is still the queen and she's announcing her return (laughs)
1: that's right she's like behind the scenes she's going through so much like numerous miscarriages before she was able to have blue ivy all kinds of your regular family bullshit plus like trying to be a businesswoman right So to the world, it looks like, oh, she's just out here trying to be a mom or whatever, like his little wife, but she had to remind y'all, like, I will release music when I'm ready to. I will let you have it when you're ready to have it. And this album, for example, came out in the middle of the Miss Carter tour. So... For all of you in the U.S. that were like bitching about, you know, where's Beyonce doing this? When is that happening? As soon as this album dropped, it was like overnight. There was a new piece of the tour added, like new outfits, new numbers, all of it. So she was like ready to snatch your wig. So you better just listen to the queen when she tells you the first time.
0: Right. And also, too, this just also plays into the um, the feminism themes that we have throughout this album. She's like, I'm not just Jay-Z's wife. Like, I'm Beyonce. Bow down. Right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> She's like, I scooped him. Don't get it twisted.
0: Right. She's like, he's lucky to be with me.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, all right. Let's go ahead and pick our favorite tracks. You only have three. I know this one's going to be a lot harder for Jamal. Oh my gosh. What are your three top favorites from this album?
1: So my three have to be, I love Partition just because it's sexy. I love any song I can do a lap dance to.
0: There you go. (laughs) I like that.
1: Pretty Hurts, definitely. I just connect with that so, so heavy. And Blow, it's just fun. I love the video for Blow. It was awesome
0: yeah all great picks all great picks and i'm gonna copy your pick on pretty hurts that song to me is just so epic i really like that song and, and the message a lot i have to i mean you have to just pick drunk in love i'm sorry <laughs> but it has to be on the list
1: that's a banger
0: it is so then my last pick i would put uh let's see i'll go ahead and put partition as well Uh, I just love, like, the confidence in that song and the owning of your sexuality. I think, you know, uh, queer people can relate to that song a lot. I'm sure lots of drag queens (laughs) perform this song as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Change the game with that digital drop. Like, don't forget what this project is. A lot of people want to hate on Beyonce because it's Beyonce. The thing about her as an artist is whenever she does something, each project is better than the last one. Like she pushes herself to, she tries to outdo herself and that keeps it interesting for us as an audience and as fans, because we just never know what we're going to get. She loves to surprise us and nobody had done this before she did. Every song had a video So you had the music, but then you also had the visual aspect. And then what happens after that? Everyone starts releasing multiple videos. And then what did she give us? Lemonade. (laughs) So she just levels up and levels up and levels up. And eventually you just have to respect it. Even if you go to her tour, she tries to do the same thing. Like she just tries to take it there. And it's all for us as a viewership
0: totally she's not reusing any eight counts or anything like that any visuals it's totally a different show every time mm-hmm. i uh have not seen beyonce like a full tour i've seen her um i used to work in on television shows so i saw her do um a couple songs just like on her own but but yeah i'm completely jealous all seen i think two concerts yeah
1: i went to the uh formation tour and then on the run too
0: were there any uh, standout moments that you wanted to talk about from either or both of those shows?
1: Um, I actually really like the Formation tour because we all know when she um, performed at the Super Bowl with Formation, that dropped like the night before the performance and just kind of the message with Black Lives Matter Now. It was kind of like an anthem at the time and it was also right before Lemonade dropped. <laughs> so seeing those songs on tour, like those outfits and... Oh, yeah. The song All Night in particular. I like that song a lot, so I wasn't trying to be a crying mess at the show, but I (laughs) will always remember that song being sang live by the Queen.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. I I have to make it out to one of her shows. I have to, but let's flip the coin here. And I know that you're a lot more familiar with this album than I am, but I just want to ask anyways... Were there any songs that you heard or fell in love with again when you went back to revisit this for the podcast?
1: I actually um, connected with No Angel a lot more um, recently. And like I was saying earlier, I can't, I more listen to music for a vibe now. Like I can name artists I've listened to, but they all kind of have like a vibey kind of R&B kind of... I don't know, we're just chilling with our homies on the stoop kind of sound. And no angel has that feel. Like you can just be rolling down the street or taking a stroll through the neighborhood. Just a chill afternoon. And I connect with that heavy.
0: (laughs) Totally. I I feel you. I have to. I mean, it's going to be really hard for me not to basically name every other song on this album.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. It'll change every listen, right?
0: (laughs) But I do. I do want to echo Jamal's pick a blow. I really like that song a lot. It's a song I hadn't really heard that much until revisiting and it's totally amazing like very um 80s inspired songs you have that sort of like Michael Jackson feel a little bit to the beat of the song
1: oh yeah I love the video for this one because um it has that kind of roller rink feel like you could totally see people skating to the song
0: I remember going to the rolling the roller rinks when I was young this was like what you could this was like a club for people that couldn't go to the club
1: (laughs) oh yeah we did that too
0: But, um, so yeah, I really like that one haunted, of course. I mean, we just have to sort of talk about how, like how truly amazing the initial song sequence on this album, pretty hurts into ghost haunted and drunken love. Mm -hmm. That combo alone is just like out of this world.
1: Yeah. It's just like, here she is. She's arrived. Y'all was rushing her. This is what she was working on. See, totally,
0: (laughs) totally. And then I, I guess, I mean, it, to avoid not saying every other song that the last one i'll just pick to mention is rocket i really really like that song as well now
1: oh yeah rocket was um written with um justin timberlake and miguel miguel's another person who can sing his ass off such a good song this is on my lap dance fantasy explosion playlist.
0: nice (laughs) we'll have to share that playlist perhaps um (laughs) that's
1: a good one lots of Beyonce. i'm pretty sure partitions on there as well
0: oh nice yes oh my gosh well i guess we've kind of arrived to the end of our discussion here but before we do end the discussion i just wanted to give jamal the opportunity to bring up anything that we haven't talked about his album that he picked beyonce self-titled before we end the show
1: I just have to say this is one of my absolute favorite projects ever. It's easy to just say that um, I'm a Beyonce fan. I think this is a project that I listen to often. If I always find myself coming back to it. I think with someone like Beyonce, give her a chance if you're a new fan. Because like I said, there's always something to look forward to. And this kind of signifies her change as an artist like in her career this is when she really took off and this is when she established herself as like a big fish in the industry and a lot of people i mean now there's no comparison just because people aren't doing what she's doing
0: Totally. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I mean, of course, I'm a Beyonce fan. Um, I don't know that I'm necessarily to Jamal's level, but I, I really, I love Beyonce and I was really happy that he chose this album because I really got to, you know, listen to like a little bit of the deeper cuts. And like Jamal was saying, the, the cool thing about this album is like every time you listen to it, you pick up on something new. So like you'll have like a different line or a different song that you really connect to. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just incredible I you know this is definitely an album that's going to be something that I come back to a lot more often than I have in the past because Jamal picked it
1: yes yes you're welcome happy to share the spirit (laughs) of (laughs) Yonsei
0: absolutely Uh, so with that I will go ahead and just say bye to all of our listeners for now I want to thank Jamal uh, again just for coming on to the show like I said Jamal is uh one of the hosts on things for coming podcast that I am also a co-host of as well with his husband Stony. and if you are interested in that show like I've mentioned in the past episodes um feel free to check it out if you like RuPaul's Drag Race or even just queer pop culture things it's really a lot of fun to listen to
1: yeah it's always a key key over there so come join us we're lots of fun
0: All right, you guys. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We'll be back and I'll be alone so you can start crying now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I'll just say thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Trouble Trouble podcast. The theme music you heard at the top of the show was made by me. The logo was illustrated and designed by the amazingly talented queer artist Will Jameson. You can find them on Instagram and Twitter at The Will Jamison. This is an indie podcast, which means no commercials, at least for now. It also means that I can't use the clips from the album we discussed because my lawyers have advised against it. Copyright laws, am I right? The best way to support this podcast is to subscribe, tell a friend, and leaving a review. It really helps other music fans find this show. If you're a fan of the RuPaul's Drag Race. Feel free to listen to my other podcast. Thanks for coming, a RuPaul's Drag Race podcast. I record that show with two of my best friends, Jamal and Stony. You can find us at TFC Pod on Instagram and Twitter. That's all I've got for you now. If you made it through the whole podcast, you rot. I'll see you at the next show in two weeks, Friday night at six PM Eastern Standard Time. Be there. With that, I'll see you next time at the show. And before I sign off, I would like to, of course, extend the invitation to Beyonce to come on the show. And to David Bowie, rest in peace. You are sorely missed. I really wish I had the opportunity to have you on the show as well. I'd love to interview you. Pick your brain a little bit. Signing off, I'm your host, Seth. Rock on, young savior. Don't give up your hopes.